This is HPR episode 2617 entitled Exposing a Raspberry Pi Database Through a REST API. It is hosted by BEasy and is about 20 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is In this episode, I discuss how I used Python to make my speed test data available across my network. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello, Hacker Public Radio fans. This is Be Easy once again. Going to go a little different this time, a little less formal. Talk about a project I've been working on recently. It's a Raspberry Pi project. Uh, a, a couple episodes ago, uh, well, at least a couple of my episodes ago, I talked about using uh, lots of Raspberry Pis to do lots of different things, mostly using them as servers. And one of the projects I... I, I do and I still do on a regular basis is every hour on the hour I run speed tests CLI uh, and store the results of that speed test in a little SQLite database where it has uh, just a couple fields. It has the date, the time, the upload speed, the download speed, and the URL to the PNG that is produced as a result of running that test. And the PNG is just a a file that shows what the screenshot would look like if you would have went to the web interface for speed tests and the results page, what that looks like. Uh, on, a, on a little side note, I, on a separate Raspberry Pi project, my daughter has her own Raspberry Pi and we did a project together following one of the instructions of another host to, to, um, to make a Raspberry Pi uh, temperature monitor. And so my daughter and I did that together. She's six. And so we did that, and then we used Python and uh, and PySerial and some other stuff to uh, to visualize what that data looked like in our house, just looking at the at the temperature. So that was pretty cool. So I don't remember who the the host was of that episode, but thank you for your episode on how to use a Raspberry Pi as a temperature monitor because we followed your instructions and they worked great. So thanks. Anyway, back to this show. Uh, I wanted to just go over briefly what um, what I what I've done. So I, I've been taking this data, I've been storing it for forever in a in a SQLite database, and what I've had to do is I've had to either SSH into that machine and run SQL queries on that little file, or I've had to copy the file to my local um, computer and then either run Python or R on it to visualize what the data looks like. And that's fine, but I'm like, well, I can do one step better. I, uh, I'm, I'm a web developer nowadays. I could probably develop a, a little app around this. And I don't, I, so I didn't build a, a web interface for it, but I did build a RESTful API. Well, it's quasi RESTful. Um, but the idea is that I can go to a URL or a couple different URLs 
and get JSON data back. And, and the JSON data will be, uh, the, the speeds every hour on the hour. And just a little history. Um, REST stands for the represent- representational state transfer. And it is, as Wikipedia says, an architectural style that defines a set of constraints to be used for creating web services. And uh, anyone who is my age or older and has been doing web development might remember uh, SOAP web services. It's something that, I, well, it's still in use, but something that preceded um, REST. And there are, there are other um, API or a- application program interfaces that exist now, but uh, SOAP was one of the grandfathers and it was really unwieldy. It, you had to deal with XML data and the, the authentication was always weird and it was always, I don't know, even, I don't know if it had to be proprietary, but I always use it in a proprietary setting. It always seemed opaque and hard to use. Um, and REST is, is more of a, of a standard and every SOAP interface is going to be different. And REST is a different approach. It tries to make it a standardized approach to, um, to creating an interface to, to share data between systems. And it uses uh, basic HTTP methods for doing that. And those methods are, um, get, post, put, delete, and also to a lesser extent, patch. And those are the same things that you would do in any data-driven application, which is create, read, update, or delete um, information. That's what uh, CRUD stands for. And so what I decided to do was uh, I'm like, I can probably do one of these around this application. So I can just go to my Raspberry Pi's hostname slash speed slash all, and I should be able to get all the data. And then I made a couple other endpoints. One is slash slow, and that will give me all the slow. And then I also did a slash um, slow slash latest, and that will give me all the latest slow. And I also did a, just a slash latest, and that will give me all, but in a certain date range. And so that's the basic idea of what I did, what, um, what the app actually looks like is um is that's a single file that that's the great thing about um about python and about the framework that I, I chose to use which is called bottle it's a simple interface to um and and, and I wouldn't use it in production for a big application but I've used it to to either prototype a rest api or to use as like instead of using and testing, I've, I've mocked out what a database for some external service is supposed to look like using it just so that I can get real requests coming back. Uh, and I've used it internally to do a couple different things, sometimes with the front end on it, but usually just with uh, just using it to make um, requests and making JSON come back to me. And so in this case, I am, where is this? Oh, yeah, it's there. So in this case, I am, I'm just making a simple app and I'm not doing a full CRUD. I'm only doing a read. So the only request that will work is a read, uh, is a read request or a get request. And I'm just looking at the app now because it's, it's pretty simple. 
and I'm just going to explain to everyone what it is and, and, and how it works. So a little architecture overview is that I'm using, um, Python and the bottle framework and the SQLite driver, the, the, and the built-in SQLite driver for Python to query the data and send out, send it out of, uh, the bottle application in JSON format. And JSON format is, if you're not familiar with it, it's a semi-structured text format that is, uh, easier to read than XML. Um, it's more, it's more of a, well, it stands for, I think it stands for JavaScript object notation, something like that. But the idea is that you use squiggly lines to, to represent a, a squiggly brackets to represent an object. And inside of there, you can have different data types. Like you can have a list, which is inside of square brackets. You can have t- strings, which are inside of double quotes. And you can have ints and floats and stuff like that that are just, you know, the, num- the bare numbers without the quotes around them. And it's a way of, of you say like, um, key colon value, key colon value comma, key colon value comma. And that's how it's structured. And you can have a key colon array of values, or you can have a key colon, and then inside there, another object with squiggly brackets, key colon value, key colon value. And so it's a way of structuring, of doing a semi-structured data format. Um, but so that's, so that's what the output is. And then to make it, let me, let me just look at this really fast. So the whole app is only, um, how many lines is it? 60 lines, including all the spaces and stuff. And there's an endpoint. So I made a simple function that, that just serializes the data because I'm not using a, an RRM or anything to, to do serialization. So I just made, I, I made it really simple where I have like a SQL statement that I'm always going to do a select star from speeds, which is the table name. And then, I, and then I do a pattern at the end of that for a where clause. So if, if, if I'm just going to the all endpoint, that's it. Select star from speeds. If I have a where, if I have a slash and then something after that, I'll add a where clause to that. And it's just building on that string. And then I take all those, since I know the data structure, if this wasn't a small app that I knew the data structure for, I would say select this item and that item and this item and that item and then serialize those individual items too. Since I know this is my database, I made it up. I just said select star, and then I just say, all right, I'm going to serialize it, which means I'm going to turn that that um, tabular data into JSON format, where I'm going to put like date colon then the date, time colon the dime, download comma the download speed, up, upload comma the upload speed, and link colon the um, the link to the PNG. And like I said, they have a, a couple different endpoints, and the endpoint is where you want to. Um, to send what URL you want to look up to get to the data. So slash speeds is just all, is just uh, actually instructions on how to use the service. And it says, you need to, here are the endpoints that you can use, all latest slow or latest slow, latest slash slow. Um, and so then I have slash speed slash all, and that does all the data, slash speeds that slow, which says anything where the download speed is less than 10 or the upload speed is less than five. And then latest slash an int would be 
that int represents the date. So I say where the date is with as, you know, X many days away. So if you say slash late, uh, latest slash 90, it would be the last 90 days. And then similarly, slash latest slash days slash slow would be just the latest 90 days of slow network traffic. And I'm running all that out to port 8000. That's important to understand because then I have to use a, a Python uh, module called, well, I don't have to use this one, but I have to use a whiskey server. In this case, I'm using MicroWhiskey to then serve that information to Nginx, which is my web server. And a whiskey server from it, from, uh, from what Wikipedia says is a web server gateway interface. And it's a simple calling convention for web servers to forward requests to web applications or frameworks written in the Python language. And so it's similar. I think it's similar in concept. Yes, it is. It's right here. It's similar to CGI. Um, that I think Perl uses CGI. Um, but the idea is that, um, Nginx expects web requests or a, a, a web server expects requests to work a certain way. And it's not necessarily what your programming language does perfectly. So you have a translational layer to translate, uh, what your, your application does to what Nginx or your web server ex expects to do. And I'm not explaining that very well, but it's probably 80% of what I know about how Whiskey servers work. So you're not missing very much based on what I know about how they work. But it's basically like a, a middleware between your application and your web server. And so you have to configure a web server to listen uh, to, and you're gonna, you're gonna use, basically make it I guess it's considered a proxy to, to listen for requests coming from that port and turn those over to whatever port you're running the application from on the web server. Usually that's port 80 or port 443 if it's HTTPS. And so that's what I've done. I made a simple Nginx configuration um, where I say listen on port 8000 for, the, for this application and serve it through port 80 to the outside world. And the outside world in this case really just is my internal network. Um, so that's all it does. And, that, and then I made a simple system D service to start that, the application on, on boot. So on boot, Nginx automatically starts up because that's a part of the, the scripts that when you install something on uh, like we install Nginx on Ubuntu, which I'm using Ubuntu server um, ARM on, on this Raspberry Pi, but it, it'll start it up automatically. It's not the same thing for for CentOS and, and, and Fedora. I think you have to enable it there, but and and Debian and Ubuntu, you, it, it's automatically enabled. Pretty sure that's right. If not, don't worry about it. You can enable it if you. Uh, it's easy enough to enable the systemd service if it's not enabled when you start. And then after that, I, I did a, a similar thing for, for my app, which I say, go run this whiskey app. And the whiskey app just says how many workers I want to use to, to handle the requests and where the, 
app.py file is to, to make the app work. And after all that, I, I tend to use either R or Python. And if I'm using R, I'll be using the HTTR or the JSON Lite libraries to read the requests. And if I'm using Python, um, I'm definitely using, uh, like I will use Eurolib if I have a requirement to not install any other software. But if I, ca I can install other software, I'll use the request module um, just because it's easier to understand. And from the command line, I use a tool called HTTPy. And it's also in the Python uh, packaging uh, repository, PyPI. But it's also installable from um, Debian and and actually, I think it's Debian Fedora and and Ubuntu just by saying, um, you know, app install or DNF install HTTPy, and it's a nice interface for it. Actually, it basically just wraps the request library, and on the command line, I can just say HTTP get the name of that um, the name of that server slash speed slash slow. And then hit enter and it'll do like a colorized, nice looking, um, output of all that data. So if I'm, I, I use HTTPI every day for my job. Like, I don't know what I do without it. <laughs> I, people use Postman and things like that. I find those things cumbersome when I can just go to the command line because it can do everything. You can do post requests. You can do. Um, it has plugins so you can do even like AWS auth or um, all auth, like all those all, all these different types of authentication methods you can use directly with it. You can add your own CA certs. It's it's pretty powerful command line tool, so I use it every day. Um, but yeah, I and sometimes I'll just use that and another command line utility called JQ, which is a way to parse J, uh, JSON data on the command line. So I'll just go. HTTPy this thing, pipe that in the JQ, and then look for this thing. And you know that's just a little bit of how I like to hack around on my computer. I you know a lot of these things are across uh, a lot of these tool these uh, tools that I use I use in my job now, and a lot of these um, a lot of these uh, the, the way of thinking is the most important part, and that is is you know find out the most simple way to do something and do it that way first. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously it's important to, to understand your requirements and, and gather all the information. But um, there's, there's a guy who has probably my favorite um, URL for any, uh, for any website ever. And it's simple as better than complex.com. And I think that is the best uh, thing in the world to say. So that's how I build applications. And sometimes they get really complicated, but they they didn't start that way. Simple is better than complex.com. There it is. Yeah, and they do Python tutorials. Um, but yeah, uh, if you have any, uh, if anyone has any requests for me to go further into either um, Python or web frameworks in Python or even if you have questions about how to make the same application in Go, which I could probably do, or um, want to know anything more about how HTTP 
request work, let me know, and I'll might uh, do an episode on that too, if if there's interest in it. Uh, and uh, one other side note is if anyone has any, um, I'm planning on writing this uh, talk that I'm supposed to be giving in the, in the next six months about data-driven web development for medical uh, medical laboratories and, and, and life sciences. Because that's what I've been doing for the last, I don't know, 15 years. And how to do it using open source software and how to do it from scratch. And so... I want to give the talk here first. So if you don't hear, I'll be doing other episodes on Hacker Public Radio, but if you don't hear in the next couple of months an episode from me about this topic, please shoot me a line and say, I thought you said you're going to do this and hold me accountable to do that because I want, I want to deliver to you guys first. So thanks for being a, a great audience. Uh, I love the feedback that I've been getting from both the uh in the show notes and uh, in the show comments and also in the the monthly roundup. So continue to, uh, to keep responding and everyone, I implore you once again, I know it's summertime and people have other things to do, but get on there and, uh, and do an episode yourself, submit it. And as always keep hacking. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.